So Islam isn't based in DNA, but it is based in the heart and the mind and exists as ideas and concepts. Like any set of ideas, it can be subject to misunderstanding, confusion and doubts. It's the human component of the human container to that idea, which is the fallible part. Here's the thing. Whenever we, we have issues or doubts, we never ask, well, what is the reason why we have doubts in the first place? Why are doubts arising? It's sometimes viewed as a spontaneous thing. And it just like arises in you like, you, like you catch a disease or you catch the cold, for example, kind of exposed to the outside world a bit too much. You know, like you go out, you don't take a jacket, you get a cold. Muslims need certainty. And in order to generate certainty, you need to assess for yourself, does Islam explain reality? And is Islam the only possible explanation? For reality. No, I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. As-salatu as-salamu al-Nabi Kareem Muhammad wa al-Ali Taibin wa sahbihi salihin. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So the organizer said, Abdullah, we, we have a topic for you because we know that you um, have made certain observations about deficiencies in the current Muslim world. So we want you to talk about issues that Muslims don't want to face, any gripes you might have, and, uh, well, our next question is, how long would you need to, to discuss them? And I said, yes. <laughs> Islam isn't a race or ethnicity. It's not an ethnic group. You don't, uh, you can, well, though we're all born on the fitrah, but people can leave and people can, there's certainly a lot of people in humanity which are not Muslim and there are people who are born into Muslim families and they leave and there are those who are born into non-Muslim families and they embrace Islam. So Islam isn't based in DNA and it isn't based in um, ancestry, but it is based in the heart and the mind and exists as ideas and concepts, yes, related by revelation to us, but how you possess the Qur'an in yourself is not that you take a Qur'an and you somehow implant it in, in your body or you eat it, you have to read it and it stays in your mind and inshallah it enters your heart. But this means that like any set of ideas, it can be subject to misunderstanding, also confusion and doubts as to its veracity. It's the human component of the human container to that idea, which is the fallible part. And of course, there's no guarantee that the idea is fully transmitted, and again, or fully understood. And if you don't understand an idea, then in, in reality, you don't actually fully possess it. So the issue is that Muslims have really paid a lot of attention to the activity of da'wah. We must go out and give da'wah. Or you must focus on your iman as well. These are all things that you must do, and of course you could. Uh, focus on, on reading, focus on learning, that's very good. But what are we going to give da'wah to? By, by what sources of knowledge? By what understanding? Um, and of course, where or how do we understand Islam? Now you might think to yourself, well, surely I just need to believe that God exists, that's sufficient. Well, you see, why do we have du'at in the first place? Why do you have to give da'wah in the first place? Why don't you just take the Qur'an, leave it on a 
chair, for example, and in speaker's corner, and then just let it do its thing. Yeah, just like the uh, the argument against the uh, Khawarij, who said that they didn't need to have leaders that implemented Islam, and the rebuttal of Imam Ali to, to the Khawarij was, "Well, take a, a, a Quran, put it on a chair, and let it let it rule." Yeah, of course the Quran is like, well, it can't, it can't speak. Exactly. You have to speak for it. So, why is this related to things that Muslims don't want to talk about? Well, here's the thing. Whenever we, we have issues or doubts and so on and so forth, we never ask, well, what is the reason why we have doubts in the first place? Why are doubts arising? It's sometimes viewed as a spontaneous thing. It just like arises in you like, you, like you catch a disease or you catch the cold, for example. Or others just say, oh, it's just being, uh, it's being kind of exposed to the outside world a bit too much. You know, like you go out, you don't take a jacket, you get a cold, might catch a cold. Right. Well, it doesn't really work like that. And it's because surely if you, what you have is the truth, then it should be a, a protective garment around you wherever you go. Right. You're the ones that should be, quote-unquote, infecting people with the truth, not being infected by falsehood yourself. Yeah. So then, what's the issue? Well, the issue is this. For the last at least uh, three to four hundred years, the Islamic civilization has gone into intellectual decline, which means that we are playing catch-up on all the fields of physics, biology, archaeology, um, historiographical research, and so on and so forth. And so, whenever we read about any of these new developments, we read it in books which ostensibly have been researched by, usually, non-Muslims, other civilizations. And they, a lot of the times, written by people who have a particular viewpoint, a prejudice, a different worldview, and we're constantly having to try to filter out, or hope we could filter out, uh, the prejudice from the actual factual observations. And many Muslims can't make that t distinction. And so, just like this week, I was talking about uh, movements, political mo left-wing political movements. Um, I also talked about right-wing political movements. But many Muslims, uh, when not knowing how to campaign for is what Islam says, the Islamic system, Islamic way of life, Islamic ideas of justice, uh, because they're just simply told that Islam says you should be just, and then doesn't give you a definition of what that justice means or how it actually is practically implemented, Muslims will find it elsewhere where people who will say, we'll give you a definition of justice. It might be um, freedom of the absolute freedom and sovereignty of the individual over themselves. Right? Every human being is the owner and master and therefore God of themselves. And therefore, good and bad is defined as simply respecting another person's godhood and not transgressing against their sovereignty without their consent. That's the, that's the measure of good and bad. Or that if we're, we're all equal, so everything, everyone must be treated absolutely identically. Whereas the Islamic perspective would be, you're equal in value, but you're not identical. And the male is not like the female, as the Quran says. It's pretty straightforward. So then, what's the issue? Well, because Muslims are playing catch-up, civilizationally, What's happening is that there are many speculations by uh, many atheist physicists, and they make tons of speculations, and they call it science. The speculation isn't the science part. The science is what is seen in experiments. But the speculation is usually brought in, and it's considered to be part of science, and you don't know the difference. And then many people get, get have doubts. And of course, Muslims themselves, after 400 years of intellectual decline, 
misunderstand how to explain Islam, or even know, and even how do you know it is true in the first place? And the arguments and ideas are very, very basic, and they're not enough to convince somebody um, who might be a bit more skeptical than uh, the average person. And a lot of people are very skeptical. Just for example, people, the miracle of the Quran is usually, I've heard, if I, I lost count the amount of times the miracle of the Quran is explained purely as, isn't it such an eloquent book? It's really eloquent. It's amazingly eloquent. It's miraculous. And what does a non-Muslim say when they hear this? Well, Shakespeare's uh, is Shakespeare's um, eloquent? Does that make it miraculous too? How do you define, what, how do you quantify something as miraculous in something that's so subjective? Yeah. Or there are Muslims who jump onto the latest, uh, they, they try to read certain science and they think they can interpret what there's miracles involved in it. And they say, for example, how did the first, uh, the first protein form from inanimate matter, from, you know, like just the, the flotsam and jetsam of, of Earth, from basic carbon molecules or uh, basic uh, amino acids, uh, simple amino acids. How did it form? This, this is clearly miraculous, and I'm going to plant my flag there and say this is a mir miracle which we know for certain, and I'm going to base my faith in it. Well, then what if they discover later on that life can form, or the first proteins can be built, and they, they come all naturally um, from uh, you know, basic um, amino acids, which, is, which you can find on asteroids. They're uh, amino acids, they're, they're quite ubiquitous. Then people are going to say, well, oh my, I'm, I'm having shubaha, I'm having doubts. On something they didn't need to say in the first place. Where does it say in the Quran and Sunnah that um, like the existence of life itself is a direct miracle where Allah subhanahu popped into existence from nothing, straight from nothing? Okay, the universe, yes, but once he's built the building materials, how do you know how he changed things once he made the universe? How things are changed and, and produced by these changes? That's speculation. And so the Muslim um, arguments for Islam and for theism, many of them are based on speculation. And what I've been doing, and I perhaps I, I take, uh, I have a bit of a reputation that uh, amongst some people who are involved in Dawah, that I shoot down bad Dawah arguments. And I say, don't use that. It's a bad idea. You're just setting yourself up to fail really badly. If in future, uh, you're, in future they discover something and, and then it actually is the case. But what would we say? We say everything that happens in the universe is by Allah's will. Everything that happens in the universe is by Allah's will. Why, do you have, why are you so desperate to try to and speculate the additional things, which is not mandated by the Quran or Sunnah, and is, is, there's no certainty in science anyway, for the most part, so why are you planting a flag and say, I'm going to use this as my um, basis for my, um, my faith? Muslims need certainty. The, a Muslim who doesn't know for absolute certain that if they sacrifice their wealth, their health, their life, uh, for the sake of the deen, if they don't, if they don't have certainty that there is an afterlife, and they don't have certainty that they're going to be rewarded, then they're not going to be wi willing to put the maximum effort into those activities that might require that. Because they say, well, they'll, they'll take a calculated guess. They say, well, you know, uh, maybe I think there might most likely might be, so I'll, I'll risk this much, but I won't risk all, all this because I don't know if I'll actually just be risking everything for nothing. Absolute certainty, see? People always make calculations based on risk 
if they don't, there's no certainty. So I'll give you an example. So let's say, let's say you have a friend of yours, and you've, you've trusted this friend, this friend of yours has always told you the truth, and has never ever lied to you, that you know of. And so someone says to you, okay, I'm gonna make you a, a, a bet, right? Are you willing to bet that your friend has never secretly cheated you of something, that you, but you, and you were, never, you were never aware of it, um, and I'll bet you $10. And you say, yeah, sure, I'll take that bet, $10. I'll bet then $10 that my friend has never cheated on me of anything, because I've never known that person to, to ever lie or what have you. Okay, what if I said $1,000? You say, okay, no, I'll still take that bet. That's $1,000, I'll just, you know, if I lose $1,000, no problem, because um, it's so unlikely anyway, but $1,000 is like, you know. What if someone said, okay, I bet you your entire life, all the money you ever make in your entire life, and also, you'll, you'll go into servitude, and your family will go into servitude to that person if that person has cheated you without you knowing it. Would you take that bet? Say, well, he hasn't cheated me that I know of, so yeah, I'll take it. You're not going to take that bet. You're like, oh, actually, am I so sure now? <laughs> yeah, because you, the stakes have been raised. So, the, so that, that minuscule risk becomes quite big. Yeah? So then, if Muslims don't have certainty, or they have doubts, they're not gonna be, they're not gonna give the deen their all, right? They're gonna have wahan in their hearts. They're gonna have fear of death, perhaps, because it's the unknown, right? And they'll think, I'm not absolutely certain now if all my activities were, were worth anything. So Muslims really need to work on certainty. Now you might say, well, what do you mean by that? Is that just, uh, I have to go at home and just keep telling my, and read, read books of Aqidah, which just give you a list of things to believe in. That's, all, that's generally what books of Aqidah tend to do. And that's not going to give you certainty. That's just going to give you a, a list of doctrines to believe in. Yeah? Or say, oh, I need to, oh, I need to you know, work on my um, Iman. And what does that mean? Like you just go at home, turn off all the lights, and you just, you just chant like mantras of things that you have to believe until certainty somehow enters your heart? It doesn't work like that. So what is needed? Well, Muslims need to intellectualize how they understand Islam, because Islam is an idea, and it's an idea about reality. It's an explanation of reality. So in order to combat kind of vectors of doubt, and in order to generate certainty, you need to assess for yourself, does Islam explain reality, every aspect of reality that, is, that we know of for certain, and is Islam the only possible explanation for reality? And once you come to the, when I converted to Islam at 14, um, at that time Islam was like a hypothesis for me, and I thought Islam is the best possible explanation for reality, and I'm obliged, I believed in God, um, it was obviously part of my fitter to believe in God, but I thought, okay, you know, God's existence is, is pretty certain for me, so God wouldn't begrudge me, I follow the best evidence I have to hand. So if I become Muslim, then that's the best hypothesis that's available. But then later on, after more, more, more research, alhamdulillah, I came to the conclusion after looking at every, every, every single possible permutation and variation you could ever make to the explanation behind reality, not just all the available ones, but ones that weren't even thought about, that Islam, it could only be as Islam explains reality. It could only be as Islam explains reality. 
I didn't even need to know the linguistic miracle of the Quran. And many reverts will become Muslim not knowing the linguistic miracle of the Quran. And they'll usually tell you that Islam made sense to me. And what they're saying to you is that the explanation of reality that Islam provides is, seems to be the only congruent one or the best one or the only possible one. Right? So if we don't aim to replicate that certainty in the Muslim Ummah, you're always going to have doubts and you're always going to have half-hearted efforts and unserious actions. That's going to perpetuate not just in the West, Muslims in the West, but Muslims certainly in the Muslim world. Arguably Muslims in the Muslim world, they have it even worse than that. They don't even know what Islam even gives us guidance fully. How does Islam solve economic problems? They don't know what, no riba, that's about it, no interest. So it was a bit more than that. So what is needed? How do we resolve these issues? And here's the, uh, well, it's not controversial, but it's just something which uh, is even commonsensical, but unfortunately, Muslims are very complacent and they don't see how important it is. Muslims think, we have the truth. We have the truth. So. All you need to do is just convey it, game over. Not really, because how well do you know the truth? And you're going to convey it to people who have understandings about reality which has been updated in the last 400 years due to uh, science, scientific investigations, uh, due to investigations in physics, biology, due to investigations in history. We now know more about history than we ever had in the past from archaeological evidence and unearthed textual evidences. The internet means that if someone knows something, then they can make everyone in the world potentially know that one thing, including misinformation. And so that just compounds our problem. So what do we have to do? As Muslims, we have to give serious, I would even say priority funding and resources to researching and updating how is the Islamic worldview and how it understands the world, updating it with the modern knowledge that we have today. People become Muslim because they, they say that Islam explains everything. But if you don't know the latest of discoveries and developments and so on and so forth, then you can't really explain everything for them. You can't show them how the Islamic lens is, is fully comprehensive. Right? People say, I was taught religion, then I went to university, and, I, I, and my mind opened to a world of, of, of scientific investigations and left-wing movements for justice, which have very detailed descriptions of how justice is and what oppression is. And, and then they just, they subconsciously see that the world is bigger than Islam, or they feel the world is bigger than Islam, and then eventually they will be nominal Muslims or even non-Muslims, because people always follow the widest context, that which explains the bigger picture. You know, people say, what's the definition of um, winning a debate? Winning a debate has been described as the side that explains the widest context, that provides the biggest picture. So like, they come in and they say, um, I, I, have an I have an argument or an explanation that not only explains the evidence, explains your existence or your, your position's existence and the whole, the whole picture. So as Muslims, for example, we come in and we can explain, for example, when we debate Christians, and they don't like this very much, but we can explain why Christians have their very existence. Why did even Christianity even emerge? What deviation occurred. We can explain it, whereas Christians, how do you, from their worldview, they find it hard to explain Islam because, well, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's a prophet of God, alayhi salam. We love him. Is, it, is Islam the work of the devil? Very hard to justify why the devil would call people to loving Jesus, according to their worldview. 
right? And to quote a, a biblical argument, a house divided against itself will not stand, right? So if, if, if uh, Islam is a work of the devil from the Christian perspective, why is it doing um, anti-devil work, which is um, calling to people to, to believe in the Messiah and accept Jesus as, as a prophet? Christians find it so hard. It's, it's, a, it's a very big issue for them in their hearts to explain Islam away. They want to explain it as the Antichrist or something, but it just doesn't fit very well. It grates them. But we have a bigger explanation than them. We have a wider context, a much wider context. So, what is the solution then? Sometimes you've seen, uh, I've noticed that there are many institutions that set up and they try to teach courses and they try to um, update people's information. And people ask, why do I have to pay for this course? Shouldn't knowledge be free? Yeah, or like, why, um, why do we have to give away like, uh, uh, money to someone to do research? Can't you just do it in your spare time? I see that argument because Muslims have a low priority to, actual, to research itself. They think research is unnecessary because surely Islam is so self-evident that you could just put the Quran on a pedestal, put it in speaker's corner, and it will debate everyone and beat everyone in arguments. Yeah, well, it doesn't really work like that. Why do think tanks exist? Uh, why, why does this place exist? specifically, and they charge money to teach, right? And think tanks get funded. What do think tanks do? Can anyone tell me what think tanks do? Volunteer? Sorry? Well, not you, you know the answer. <laughs> Everyone, anyone else? They think to send tanks. They, they think to send tanks, <laughs> that's the RAND Corporation. Um, anyone else? What do think tanks do? It's, it's not rocket science. Sorry? They think. Did they, they, they just sit down and think? Sorry? They research policy. Yeah, they, they, they do research. And politicians read that re research because politicians know that despite what they say to the public, they don't know everything. And they need someone who basically makes it their full-time job to go delving into all the available data and present a report that then recommends it to decision makers who can then make the right decisions based on the right information. Then you might say, but Abdullah, surely like, you know, reading books and so on, so people do it in their spare time, why does it have to be funded? Well, yeah, you're right, people can do it in their spare time. But here's the problem. Um, every single day, my inbox, Jake's inbox, Adnan's inbox, Sheikh's inbox, or everyone's inbox are bombarded by Muslims who say, I have doubts, I can't sleep at night, I'm, 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 my, my, my belief is being shaken. Um, I, I met a non-Muslim who said this to me. I met this person who said this to me. Oh, this, this, apparently the new, news reported this new discovery that's now shaking my faith. When they, they took, one case was like they took a dead cell and they inputted a new nucleus to it and they said we made it alive again. Or they brought dead to life, dead, uh, dead things to life again. Isn't, or is, doesn't this shake my face? Like, excuse me, what? That's, not, that, that's you know, I had to explain to that person that, that doesn't really shake our faith exactly at all. But um, the issue is that people have doubts today. And also Muslims need guidance today. Like policymakers need guidance for, for policy, for um, campaigning, for, act, for political actions, for economic policies. Muslims need guidance today. Right? The whole point of think tanks and, res and research projects that the government funds itself is to get it quickly and comprehensively. 
So despite the fact there are so many um, you know, DAO organizations across the world, very good, but there is so little funded research. And research is boring, by the way. It's not like snazzy. It's not with like flashing lights and you know, what have you, with conferences and things where you get, where the, the person who donates will see something immediate within the next week or something. No, it takes months to get something correct, to check every reference, to check every fact, to consult with experts. Right. And people say, oh, but then we have, uh, we have ulama, we have scholars. You know, they are people of knowledge. And again, the mistake is that because someone has knowledge, they have all knowledge. They are omniscient and they have all knowledge. No human here is omniscient or, or has all knowledge. They might miss I get asked questions about fiqh. I'm not a faqir. I, I can't, I'm not a mufti. I can't answer those questions. I'm just a, I'm just a dawah carrier. Right? That's all I do is give da'wah, I can't answer. But Muslims think that any Muslim who's in public realm speaking about Islam must know everything there is to, to know about Islam um, or about the world generally when giving da'wah. Like they know all the arguments that doesn't exist. Okay? We have, that's why many du'a'at have to specialize. Right? Some only go into Christianity or they go into a number of different subjects. Um, or they only go into atheism, they debate atheists or they only debate um, the, or evolution or topic evolution, some have to specialize, right? And amongst those brothers, the ones I know, they are given, they're, they're, they're funded to give it full-time or to study it full-time or somewhat appro approaching full-time or part-time, right? But currently the model of, of Muslim research is it's not full-time or part-time, it's spare time. And as any one of you has, who has family knows, it, see, the more knowledge you get as you get older, you think, okay, well, that makes it easier to do that, to do work and what have you. No, because as you get older, you have more financial commitments, you have more family, your time decreases. So those who can give the most, who can do the most, are the youngest. But guess who has the least knowledge? The youngest. And many people complain about these, uh, they say, oh, this young guy, Duart, uh, uh, the young guys, um, who, uh, Dai, or these young Duart, uh, they just give opinions without knowledge or they just speak and they just speculate and, and so on and so forth. And that is a problem. And yes, that is indeed a problem. But guess what? Do you know what pressure many of them are under when their inboxes are full, full or people ask them questions in the middle of lectures, uh, questions which are very controversial or questions which um, resonate uh, doubt amongst the audience and then the person feels very pressure to give some kind of answer lest Islam seem like it can't answer the questions. Yeah. And that's all because we don't fund um, institutions to do full-time research, to write policy papers explaining how we approach a particular idea or a particular um, argument, or how, um, how can we show Islam is absolute certain. And unfortunately, the organizations that, some organizations that do exist that are fully funded, they face issues where people who are giving the funds say, we want to donate to you, but one of these people in on your, I know a case of one organization, I won't mention names, where one of their members was very openly criticizing secularism and liberalism and so on and so forth, saying, look, Islam has a, a better alternative, criticizing feminism. And then the organization faced pressures from people who were funding it, saying, uh, we don't like this person, we don't like what they're saying. It's kind of, it, it's, uh, it, it's politically not convenient now to talk, to talk like that in public. You know, just present Islam as a kind of liberal compliant Islam, you know. That way it won't shake anyone, it won't shake any feathers, it won't rough any feathers in, in society. And the guy had to leave that organization because the organization, its funding was being threatened by 
that brother simply calling to a more comprehensive Islam, to comprehensive Islam. Right. So I'll round it up by simply saying that, and this is, again, the things that we don't want to talk about, which is, do you know that as Muslims, you know, due to our birth rates, and simply due to, and also due to conversions, as Muslims, if we can simply preserve the deen in our hearts with certainty, even if we didn't do anything else, and I'm not saying not to do anything else, but even if we didn't, didn't do any other political campaigning or anything, we'll probably win the world in terms of um, uh, persuading the world to be Muslim and to embrace the truth, simply by dint of the fact that if we can just hold on to our qila and we can proudly defend it and proudly explain it, without any political campaigning, the deen will conquer the world just as an idea, and people will embrace it. But if you don't pay attention to research, if you don't pay attention to updating Muslim knowledge and showing how Islam can explain the sum total of human knowledge that we have today, then you're going to see, like in the United States of America, they said about 25%, it was a recent pupil, I think it was, they said 25% of uh, Muslims from a, from a Muslim background leave Islam, have left Islam in the United States of America. 25%, one in four. Okay? I've lost count of the amount of people who have told me their sons, their daughters, their brothers, their sisters have left Islam. Could you go speak to them? It's like only one person. And I, I, only, I live in London, I can't meet people you know, physically around the world. But if there's anyone that has doubts and they live in Hawaii, I'm more than happy to go. If you, can, if you fund that, more than happy to go. Just you know, for the sake of answering the doubts, of course. Um, so in essence, as Muslims, we need to put priority to, to research. It's boring, but we need it. We need to put priority to showing how Islam can explain the sum total of human knowledge, how it's not only the best explanation, but it is the only possible explanation. Put yaqeen in our hearts, and when Muslims understand, not only with certainty, but with the full scope of how Islam can give guidance on every aspect of human affairs, including the political and the economic and so on social, then you'll see the change in, in the actions behind the Muslim world. As the Quran says, Allah does not change a state of the people until they change what is within themselves. It's not your physical organs it's referring to. It's not referring to changing physical organs. Or, uh, and it's not talking about changing your, your practices. Although that will come, that is a natural consequence of changing what is inside your mind and what is inside your heart. So on that, let's focus on strengthening this deen and putting our resources into preserving what Islam essentially is and defending it and, and giving an exposition to what Islam is, which is ideas that spread through the hearts and minds of mankind. And inshallah by that, it will conquer the hearts and minds of mankind. Okay, barakallah